Hello, fellow adventurers, and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin, and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together, we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode two of the Nerd Lab, you will learn the three fundamental pillars of encounter and combat systems. This episode is the first in a series of episodes that will deal with the topic of encounter systems. Today we will focus on how to ask your players the right questions in order to make the encounter an exciting and entertaining experience for your players. The theories in this podcast episode are inspired by tabletop RPG, storytelling and literature. Let's see what we can learn from these fields and how we can transform the insights into board game components and mechanics. Last week we talked about vision statements and design pillars for our game. One of the design pillars I formulated for my game is that I want a multifaceted encounter system. That's why I want to dive a little bit deeper into encounter building today. We can find some sort of conflict resolution in most games. The goal for today's episode is to find out which components of conflict resolution we need to create interesting, diverse and challenging encounters and how we can convert these components into actual game mechanics. So how is an encounter structured and what is the key difference between an encounter and a combat system? So let's start with a combat system. For me, a combat system is simply the resolution of one or more conflicts by force in order to achieve some kind of objective. An encounter system, on the other hand, is also a resolution of one or more conflicts, but Instead of being limited to using force to solve the conflict, a variety of different interactions can be used to achieve the desired objective. So the resolution is no longer restricted to kill all your enemies. In other words, we do no longer have to design quests that require kill X enemies, kill all enemies. Um, the room for interaction is it's much, it's much higher now um, in a well-designed encounter. For example, a conflict can also be solved by convincing the opponent diplomatically or bribing him with gold or sneaking past him or by just handing over an item to him he was actually after. Although there are some differences between combat and encounter situations, the fundamental building blocks are the same for both variants. So the following explanations will be just as helpful for you if your game is more on the combat side of things. Each combat or encounter system can be broken down into three fundamental building blocks, which describe relatively precisely with which way of thinking we as a game designer should approach the creation of these scenarios. The first pillar is asking a question. Combat design is nothing more than your game asking a question to the players. In the combat scenario, this question is determined by the anime behavior. In a simplified way, a possible question to confront your players with is, can the players kill all the goblins? This is a typical kill all enemies question. We will get soon into the nitty gritty of um, learning how you can ask better questions for your game. The second pil pillar is giving your players the tools they need to answer the question you've just asked. So this means you have to design player skills, spells, 
items and everything players need in order to determine their behavior. The third pillar is that you need ways to manage and manipulate the resolution of questions and answers for each instance of your combat system. This means you need to have a resolution mechanic and in most games this also involves or includes some sort of random number generator like dice or modifier cards. We also need some way of keeping track of board states such as hit points, damage dealt, uh, number of uses left on an item or the current state in the quest where the, where the players are at the moment. So this sounds quite easy altogether. We just have to ask the players a question, give them the tools to answer them and create a way to manage the resolution and keep track of everything. Well, at the end, it will be more complex, of course, but I think these three easy pillars um, give a good overview and structure on how we will proceed in designing this game. Today, we will focus on uh, the first pillar, which is asking the right questions. I thought quite a while about how to design a system that allows us to propose better questions. And instead of asking simple questions, we are going to formulate dramatic questions. Um, the traumatic question is the cornerstone of your story and it is always about the protagonist's central conflict. This is a tool that is used by uh, dungeon masters to create interesting encounters in RPGs. This is a tool that is used in literature or um, for movies as well. The traumatic question give, gives your encounters meaning and tell you why the encounter is important. A traumatic question is more or less just a statement of the hero's current objective in the scene and it is rephrased into a yes or no question. So some examples um, are can the heroes escape from the temple of the elemental evil or will the heroes be able to protect the city wall against the orcish raid until support arrives or are the heroes able to keep the goblins from detonating an explosive device under the bridge. As you have probably noticed, none of these questions included the word kill. Um, that doesn't mean that the players cannot kill the goblins before they place the exp uh, explosive device under the bridge. Um, it just means that there could also be other ways. Typically, these questions are not communicated directly to the players, um, but the players have to be aware of the task they have to solve. But a dramatic question alone does not make for a good encounter. If the players can just answer the question in any way they want, the encounter isn't exciting. That is why we need one or more conflicts in our encounter. And a conflict occurs when the heroes are prevented from achieving their objectives. Let's say they have the quest to get into a dragon's lair and grab one of the dragon's eggs. They cannot just go into the dragon's lair and grab the egg and walk out again. Obviously, monsters and NPCs can be sources of conflict here. But so can traps, hazards, obstacles or the environment. And now we come to the reason why I really hate all these kill eggs quests. A dragon in its lair is not a conflict. It's just a thing in a room. But this is the level of abstraction most board or card games make. And for me, this is just one step too short. We need motives and goals to create real sources of conflict. 
A source of conflict could be in the ancient dragon mom in her lair protecting her ex. But this is still not a conflict. The real conflict occurs when there is another party involved. In the dragon example, a possible conflict could be the dragon's desire to protect her ex versus the player's desire to steal one of the ex. You really have to understand the difference between a thing, in this case the dragon, a source of conflict, the dragon's desire to protect her ex, and the conflict itself, the dragon's desire to protect her ex versus the party's desire to steal one of the ex. Um, the dramatic question for this encounter could be, can the heroes leave the dragon's lair with at least one of the dragon eggs? For me, this already sounds like an interesting encounter, but the scenario is still very, very simple. There are only two participants who have contradictory goals. It really becomes interesting when there are multiple conflicts in an encounter. But uh, the complexity also increases dramatically because you have to consider how the different conflicts interact with each other. In our dragon example, we could easily add another group of adventurers, for example, who are in the same quest of stealing a dragon's egg. If there's only one egg in the lair, there is definitely a source of conflict and we could add a timing aspect to the quest. For example, do can the, can the heroes uh, get one dragon egg before the competing party gets one of the dragon eggs? They maybe only have four or five rounds um, of time before the other party um, arrives. Um, if there's more than one egg, um, the groups could also work together to um, split the dragon eggs afterwards. The different conflicts do not have to be static or preset at the beginning of a quest. They can also occur during the course of a quest. Let's say one of the dragons hatches during the encounter. Since he would certainly rather stay with his mother, the dragon well probably has also a competing goal, which then leads to a whole new conflict. Also, the environment could be relevant as a source of conflict. Let's say once the dragon mom lost more than half of her life, um, or if one of the players grabs one of the eggs before she dies, she enrages. And in wild rage, she smashes her tail around and damages the structural integrity of the cave. Now we have a whole lot of new conflicts. The ceiling of the cave that wants to collapse, the heroes who don't want to be buried under the stones, and the good old dragon mom who doesn't want her axe to be crushed. All of these new conflicts influence the behavior of the participants and could lead to a more realistic and more memorable scenario. But there is more. Until now we only talked about external conflicts. What about internal conflicts? For example, one of the heroes might have a problem kidnapping one of the unborn dragon babies from his mother and selling it to the probably highest bidder on the market. These conflicts are called internal conflicts because they happen entirely inside of one entity, for example a hero or an NPC, and they do not in include another external party. Internal conflicts occur because players have more than one desire, purpose, motive or, or goal and sometimes these goals clash and cause dilemmas. This is something that could be implemented by, for example, personal quest goals, life goals or some kind of character alignment. The goal here is to create interesting trade-offs for the individual player and maybe they could also be used to, to fight the quarterbacking problem. Gloomhaven, for example, does this with um, 
individual goals for each scenario and sometimes it leads to to a situation where a player has to open the next door for the upcoming room because his personal quest card says that there needs to be a monster present on the map um, at the end of every round but from a party perspective this could be the wrong way to go forward because the party may need a around to recover from the from the last fight so this causes a dilemma for the player and he has to choose whether he wants to pursue his personal personal goal or if he wants to give up his goals for the greater good of the party so this was a good example um, to show that personal quests can create internal conflicts for a player and therefore create nice trade-offs in the game however in my playgroup um, At least in my playgroup, uh, the player would probably try to open the door if there is the slightest chance that a party can still make uh, fulfill the, the, the overall quest. Because players are just greedy. So we now talked a lot about conflicts. And remember, the main reason we need conflicts is because they give the players something meaningful they need to solve in order to answer the traumatic questions of the encounter. By skillfully constructing a scenery, we have now formulated a traumatic question and created multiple conflicts that can be answered in different ways. This is great for an open-ended pen and paper RPG, uh, where it doesn't really matter how a conflict is resolved as long as it is answers the traumatic question. It could be solved by deaths of the heroes, it could be solved by death of the dragon, surrender of one of the parties or outsmarting by luring the dragon into the open or sneaking past the sleeping dragon mom. For a GM-less, self-contained game, however, in which you can't really improvise, this approach doesn't quite work. We cannot just ask a question and leave it uh, to the players to solve it um, in any way they want. In my game, I will probably need some predefined solution path for the players instead of completely open role-playing choices. But that's fine for me, as long as there is enough different options for the characters to choose from. And in order to make the countless possibilities of conflicts and their resolution more tangible for the players, and also for me as a game designer, we need pre-made decision points. And a decision point is uh, when your game asks your player, well, here's the situation, these are your different options, what do you do? And decision points come in two different flavors. Either a player can choose between different conflicts and which one he wants to resolve, or the player can choose how to resolve a particular conflict. Choosing which conflict to resolve occurs when a player chooses which enemy to target or what obstacle he wants to overcome. For example, um, he has the option to swim through the lake or cross the shabby-looking hanging bridge. Um, I call these decision points strategic decisions. On the other hand, choosing how to resolve a particular conflict occurs when a player chooses what spell or attack he wants to use on the dragon mom, for example, or whether he wants to sneak past the dragon. I call the how to resolve a conflict decisions um, action When we want to build interesting encounters, we need both kinds of decisions. While the action decisions should be covered by a well-designed combat and social combat system, the more strategic decisions depend on the individual quests and we will have to make sure to implement enough tactical decisions every time we create a new encounter. 
Um, and I hope the action decisions will be solved once we have a fully fleshed um, combat system. Assuming that your combat and social combat mechanics generate more than enough action decision points to make the resolution of a conflict fun, we still have to find now a way how to introduce new strategic decisions during an encounter. A strategic decision point comes up when there is a new situation in the game. Once the encounter starts, the players choose a strategy and start making progress in the encounter. With ongoing rounds, the number of choices are reduced. This is because uh, people settle into their positions, the number of targets steadily decreases um, until it comes down to just the last player attacking um, the last target. For my game, I want to add new stimuli the players have to respond to. During the encounter, there should be new circumstances that require strategic thinking and decision-making. If we come back to the good old dragon lady example, a new strategic decision point could trigger once she is at 50% of her starting life and starts to enrage. The situation now has changed. The collapsing cave is introducing a new conflict. And maybe the characters are forced to change their previous plan from killing the dragon to just grab an egg and run for their life. This would, by the way, make a great follow-up encounter. Can the heroes reach the city before the enraged dragon mom stops them? Sounds fun for me. For my system, I will use a so-called uh, trigger system that um, goes off at specific situations, such as an enemy being at 50% of its starting life and then introduce new conflicts to the scenario. We will talk about that. Um, one more thing we have to take care about regarding decision points is that we make sure the players have more than one option to choose from um, and we need real options. When a player is out of options, um, either because there is nothing left to decide or because the number of useful or practical options has become limited, the player will lose interest in your game and will probably start playing around with his mobile instead. We want to avoid this by all means. And this can be done by avoiding the following situations in your game. So, repetition. Repetition of the same action over and over again is a problem. If, for example, your tank um, has to use his entire turn to block and he has to do this several turns in a row, this is not this is not a choice, so and this does not make fun for him after maybe the first or second round, because he's you just ask him to yeah more or less to press continue. Um, then another point is uh, this can also happen if a character is out of spells, a mage for example. Um, one example from Gloomhaven here is um, once you have less than two cards in hand, you cannot perform a normal turn. You have to rest. And this is not a decision point. You have to rest. There's no, no other way. However, what Isaac, the developer of Gloomhaven, um, did quite well here is he distinguished between short and long rests. So you at least have an option to choose from. Um, and the difference is that you, with a long rest, heal some life, re refresh some of your items, um, and you can choose which card you lose during the long rest. While for a short rest, you lose a random card and don't get any life or and cannot refresh items. However, for the short rest, you do not have to spend an entire turn. So even if you are out of spells here, there is still an interesting trade-off to make. Another aspect of games we have to view critically is reactions or are reactions. 
if you have to react to something and your reaction is more or less predefined, this is also no decision point. In one of my first prototypes for my game, I, I had saving throws. If you would get hit by a firewall, fireball, for example, you could make a saving throw against fire to mitigate some of the damage. But this was not a decision point. It didn't add any trade-offs or choices to the game. It was obvious that you would do the roll, um, so I will get rid of the saving throws altogether um, in my next version. Another argument against the saving throws is that most of your decision points should be focused on actions the heroes can take to resolve a conflict or to pursue the traumatic question instead of avoiding negative effects and defeat. This is also the reason why I will probably not have anything like blocking or dodging. So these were just some examples of players having to make a decision but do not really have enough options to, to call it a real decision point. Also, there is a possibility that players have too many options, but I do not really know at the moment how many decision points are too many or how many options are too many. So this is something I really have to have to find out during during playtesting. So that's it for the theoretical part of today's episode. Now I want to break all that theory down into digestible pieces um, for our games and I will use my game as an example as always. What I realized is that I need different components in order to create interesting encounters. And these components for me are, I need something, for example, to, to tell my story. And this component should be um, embed the encounter into a larger multiple session long story. It should present um, the hook, so make the players care about the encounter. And it should define the goals for the encounter. So this is more or less asking the dramatic question. So a storytelling tool could be implemented, well, using cards. It could be used, could be implemented by using um, some sort of website or digital device. And it could be implemented by using a scenario book, which is, um, I think, the most common way of uh, doing the story part in, in such a game. I will go with the scenario book to begin with as well, because I think it's just the simplest way to start with and... My goal at the moment is to um, start with the minimal viable product and eh, I think the scenario book is easiest. But I could easily see um, switching to a digital device or a card-based system in the future, if necessary. So what other components do we need? We of course need enemies and NPCs. Um, they should be able to perform a variety of possible actions. They should have combat abilities, social combat abilities, and they should be able to interact with um, objects and other NPCs or players. I will definitely have them as cards. And if we consider an enemy to be represented by a single card, there are different possibilities here to, to organize its abilities. We could either have the abilities as a separate monster ability deck, um, or we could have the abilities directly printed on the monster card and use some kind of random number generator to decide which action the monster takes this turn. For my first prototype I used um, a separate monster ability deck but I realized that um, 
I need quite a lot of cards if I want to have different different abilities for, let's say, a goblin, a goblin chief, a goblin shaman. So every one of these would need their own um, monster ability deck. And with 10 to 20 cards per deck, um, yeah, we need a lot of different cards to design and to print later on. So therefore I decided that I will, um, with my next prototype, I will go with um, with all the abilities printed on the monster card um, itself and use some kind of random number generator to decide which act is going to take. Um, but there are still some challenges open here. So um, what do I do with um, random actions versus um, scripted quest actions? So there might be situations where the monsters um, want to do a special action that is determined by the quest. And I, at the moment, do not really know how to implement this. This is a challenge I have to face. Um, and another thing that I'm currently not 100% sure how to implement it is, um, is social combat. This is something we have to have to um, look into. In, in. in addition to monsters and enemies and NPCs, we also need um, objects. This can be quest-specific items, such as the dragon egg, for example, we all already discussed today. Or more generic objects, such as um, traps, doors, obstacles, and so on. Important is that players as well as uh, enemies should be able to interact with these objects. I really have to find a way how I can implement this interact easily and without too much too, too much complexity and without the need to print too many cards. So we need a generic way for the interaction. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I will implement the objects as cards as well. So another aspect that I think we could use for this game is um, individual player goals um, to create the internal conflicts as we discussed today. Um, and I think I will implement them as um, cards as well, pretty much like Gloomhaven does it. Um, but I don't think they are required for the minimal viable product or for the first prototype. Um, I will not focus on them, but they should be added later. This brings us to the triggers and I think the triggers are the most important component to implement an encounter as we described it today. Their main task is to create new decision points and they could be implemented for example as hidden cards that are revealed as soon as the trigger condition is met. So for example one of the triggers could be after three turns do something or something happens. Or as soon as ex-opponents are dead, something happens. Or as soon as the boss has lost 30% of his life, something happens. Or as soon as two characters are dead, something happens. These trigger cards would then be placed in a special trigger area and players check at the beginning of their round whether one of the conditions have been met or not. If yes, they turn, one of the, turn the card around and read um, outcome and this creates a new decision point and they probably have to um, change their strategy for the one of the main challenges that i currently see with uh, with triggers is that they are very quest specific not very generic what i want to avoid is printing a lot of cards that can only be used once on the other hand i would still like to use the triggers as cards because i think that leads to good gameplay and I want to utilize the card's possibility to hold some kind of hidden information. 
the players will know when something is going to happen because this side of the card is but they don't know what is going to happen and my current idea is um, to implement triggers as cards but make them generic enough to use them for a variety of different encounters and the probably easiest way is to have generic trigger abilities like uh, two enemies have been killed on one side of the card and a unique referral number on the back of the card that then refers to a specific section in the rule book um, that can be used for for different or more than one encounter so let me briefly summarize what i have learned from my game from today's episode so i want to create a hook and ask a traumatic question with my scenario book then i want to have enemies npcs and objects to represent interesting conflicts and i want to use triggers to introduce new decision points during I also made the conscious decision that my game should have many decision points with real options for the player. Therefore, I think this makes the game very complex and I should reduce complexity um, in other aspects of my game. This will probably lead to a very simplistic resolution mechanic and a very easy combat system. For example, I want to get rid of movement and positioning. Uh, but there should be a lot of interaction possibilities and um, I narrowed these down to three different interaction possibilities and the, they are decisions. I want players to make decisions, for example, um, pay X gold to one of the enemies and then he's going to retreat, for example, or use skills for some kind of skill challenges, uh, sneaking past the dragon, for the example, or, um, of course, combat interaction. And one important aspect is that I want to have these three different interaction possibilities um, present during the same scenario or available to the, during the same scenario. I don't want to, to distinguish between a decision scenario or a skill uh, challenge scenario or a combat encounter. I want them to be, um, I want an encounter to be able to hold all three of these interactions or to combine them. And I think, therefore, I need a very universal resource system for my, for my game that um, can be used for both combat and non-combat interaction. Yeah, we will talk about that in the future. I know that is not very specific at the moment, but I'm, I'm glad that I at least figured out which kind of components I want to have for my game and how they are going to interact with each other. And this already brings us to the end. I hope today's episode helped you to understand how multifaceted encounters can be created and what components you could possibly use to do so. If you already have a game you are working on, maybe try to identify situations in which your players have to make a decision but do not have a real decision point. Situations in which your players are forced to perform a certain action. And then think about creative ways to either get rid of this pseudo-decision or add another layer, as Isaac did for Gloomhaven, by distinguishing between long and short rests. I think this is an easy way to, um, to make your game better. Maybe you got some inspiration for your own design, or even got some ideas for my design challenges today. If so, please contact me via podcast at nerdlikeaboss.com. This is also the address to use if you want to get a weekly update of my design diary with all the relevant resources I use to create this podcast and develop my game.
Next week, we will probably talk about the second encounter design pillar, um, giving your players the tools to answer the questions we formulated today. Thank you so much for listening through the entire episode. It means a lot to me. And until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.